Jesus calls us to take up our cross and follow him. You're listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities, and it is our aim to lead you to the cross through the teaching of God's Word. Okay, we're in Ezekiel 38. We're talking about Israel in the end times, and this is the major passage that deals with Israel in the end times. So we're going to get into it. Let's pray before we get started, and let's do this. Father, we thank you again for the work that you do in our hearts. Lord, as we open up your word, thank you, Jesus, for what you did for Dolores. Thank you for the witness that she was to all the ladies in the hospital. And Father, we just thank you that she's here with us safely. Lord, as we're going through your word, we pray that you'd be speaking to our hearts, that you'd help me to be clear, and that you just bless the time. And we ask that you do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I want to be in Ezekiel 38. We, we already started this last week, but actually I want to kind of point out a couple of things that we have in the New Testament that specifically are dealing with this passage here. Okay, so turn over to Romans chapter 11. And Romans chapter 11 is specifically all about Israel and Israel's rejection of the Messiah, okay? And so when you're going through the book of Romans, when you get to 9, chapter, uh, 9 10, and 11, chapter 9 is talking about Israel versus Israel, And so the Israel that is faithful to follow God versus the Israel that is not faithful to follow God. And that Israel in the first century was very few and far between, okay? When you get to chapter 10, it talks about the rejection of Christ by Israel, and it specifically talks about the fact that they missed it. And the reason that they missed it was because they were into works instead of salvation through faith. And they didn't recognize what God was doing in Christ. When you get chapter to chapter 11, chapter 11 is, the, is all about the fact that Israel's rejection is not total or final. And that Israel is going to be coming back together as a nation. And so if you look in chapter 11, verse 25, I'm not going to do, you know, it's one of those things where you got to read the whole chapter to get the, obviously, the whole context But in verse 25, it says, I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so what God is doing here in Romans chapter 11 is telling you the plan. And this plan started back in the first century. And the plan was that what God was doing was setting Israel aside for a period of time as far as the whole nation, and he was reaching out to the Gentiles. And so he's got a plan to bring the Gentiles in, and so blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in, comes in. And so that's what we see. That's what we see for the last 2,000 years. Most of the church has been Gentile. And God's still reaching out to Jews, and Jews are still coming into a relationship with him. There's a revival going on in Israel right now. And so God is still reaching out to the Jews 
but when you're talking about Israel as a nation, God's got a plan where he's going to bring the whole nation in, not just certain individuals that come out of the nation, okay? So again, verse 25 at the end, he says, don't be wise in your own opinion that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved as it is written, the deliverer will come out of Zion and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. And so he quotes from a passage out of the Old Testament where it, make, where it makes it plain that God is going to restore the nation of Israel. He is going to take away their sins. And so what we had in the Old Testament at the time of Moses, at the time of Joshua, at the time of David, with a, with a group of people that were actually following the Lord is what we're going to have again with the nation of Israel, which we do not have right now, okay? Or have had for the last 2,000 years since the rejection of the Messiah. It says, verse 28, concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they are beloved for the sake of the fathers. So what he's saying there is, it, it's still like this today. Jews are actively opposed to the gospel. And so they're not believers. Yet, the Jews have a relationship with God that's based on the promises that God made to the fathers. And the fathers that he's talking about here are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so the, it's talking about the, or the uh, Abrahamic covenant that we went over a couple of weeks ago. And so he says that even though they're enemies for your sake, but concerning the election, they're beloved for the sake of the fathers. And so God's gonna be faithful to Abraham to fulfill the covenant that he made to him. And he didn't just make the covenant to him, he made it to Isaac also. And then he made it again to Jacob. And so that's, what, that's what's being spoken about there. And then look at verse 29. For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. And a lot of times that verse gets, gets thrown around in all kinds of contexts, but the context that the verse was written in is that God's not getting rid of Israel. The gifts and the callings of God are irrevocable. He called the nation of Israel, and he's going to fulfill that. Then he goes on and he says, Even so, these also have now been disobedient, that through the mercy shown you, they, may, they also may obtain mercy. For God has committed them all to disobedience that he might have mercy on all. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has become his counselor, or who has first given to him, and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever, amen. And so he goes, he erupts into praise after he ends up talking about the fact that Israel's coming back in. And so that's a promise of God. When you talk about the tribulation period in the book of Jeremiah, it says it is the time of Jacob's trouble. And so Jacob is Israel's name before God changed his name. So it was Jacob got his name changed to Israel. And so it's the time of Israel's trouble. It is specifically the time when God is dealing with the nation of Israel. And so a bunch of Gentiles get saved during the tribulation. It's not just Jews, but a bunch of Gentiles get saved during the tribulation, but specifically God is going after the Jewish nation. Okay, so that's one passage I wanna get in there so you see the context of what's happening because what God does in chapter 38 and 39 of the book of Ezekiel is he uses the events that are going to take place in this battle to bring Israel back into a relationship with him. He opens their eyes, is what he does. 
and then they begin to follow the Lord. If you turn over to, to Revelation chapter 6, and I'm going to read the first eight verses. It says, Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals. This is the seven-sealed scroll. And you guys know what a scroll is? And those seals are either on the outside. A seal is placed on the paper where they've taken wax and they've sealed the paper to, together. And so a seal can be something where, for example, you roll up a scroll, kind of roll, like rolling up a pa paper towels. You get to the end of the paper towel and you start dripping wax across the end of the paper towel and you put that wax in, that would seal it. And if you're breaking those seals, you're breaking the wax. Okay, that's one way that you could seal it. Or it would be the idea of you take a scroll and you, again, think a paper towel roll. You take it and you're rolling it up and then you drip a seal at one point and that seals it there. You keep rolling it and you drip another, you drip some more wax in there and that seals it there and you keep rolling it. It's and until you get seven and the seventh would be on the outside. So it's one of those two ways. This is, this is what they did with scrolls and that's what's being spoken about. And so as the scrolls are being broken, the seals are being broken, it's almost like out of the pages you have these visions that leap out, okay? So the first seal is the seal on this scroll and this is basically an overview of the tribulation period. And so it says, when the lamb opened one of the seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, come and see. And I looked and behold a white horse, he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now I'm not gonna spend a lot of time on this because I don't have time. That's the Antichrist. And so this is the appearance of the Antichrist. And one of the things you have with the Antichrist is he's an Antichrist. He's a, he's a false Christ. He's a pseudo Christ. And so he's gonna come looking like a Messiah. So he's riding on a white horse, he's got, crown, he's got a crown on, and he goes out and he's conquering and conquering. He's conquering and conquering. He's got a bow. It's not Jesus. Because when Jesus comes, it's in Revelation 19, he doesn't have a bow, he's got a sword that comes out of his, out of his mouth, right? And so it's a different scenario altogether, okay? So what, what's happening here is at the start point of the tribulation period, the Antichrist rises, and he's a military man. He's, a, he's like a general. He's like somebody who goes out and fights battles. He goes out conquering and to conquer. And it's gonna talk about the battle here. And it says, when he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see. Another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another, and there was given to him a great sword. And so you have a guy riding on a red horse, he's got a great sword, and he takes peace from the earth. That's warfare, okay? So the second seal is showing warfare. So first seal, Antichrist, going out conquering and to conquer. Second seal is warfare that takes place. Third seal, it says, when he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of, four, of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. And what that's talking about is famine. And so he's on a black horse. He has a scale in his hand 
And basically what, what you would do is, back in those days, uh, you, you would take and use scales to measure money and to measure goods and things like that. And, and what this is talking about is commerce here. And when it says a quart of wheat for a denarius, a quart of wheat is wh how much wheat it takes. Before you grind it, you take the wheat and it's just in kernels, basically. It's, in the, in, it's the grain itself. Then you're going to grind it and you're gonna make it into flour and after you make it into flour, you can make it into bread. And a quart of wheat is how much it takes to make one loaf of wheat bread. When it says three quarts for a denarius, three quarts of barley there, barley is a cheaper grain. And so you can get three loaves of barley with three quarts, right? And again, this is just the grain. It's not a loaf of bread. It's the grain for the bread. And a denarius is a day's wage. So, day's wage nowadays. If it was $12.50 an hour, it would be 100 bucks. But we're up to 15, 16 bucks an hour for minimum wage in the United States. And so you're, you're talking over $100 for a loaf of bread. Actually, it's not even for a loaf of bread, it's for the ingredients to make the flour for a loaf of bread. That's famine. And with warfare comes famine, especially the kind of warfare that's mentioned in the fourth seal. And he says, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse and the name of him who sat on it was death. And Hades, that's, that Hades is the grave. It's also hell. It's the holding place for those who are going to end up in the lake of fire. And so death and the one who sat on the pale horse, by the way, it's pale green, kind of a sickly green horse. And death sits on it and Hades follows with him and power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, that's warfare, with hunger, that's famine, with death, that's gonna be pestilence and by the beasts of the earth. And so a quarter of the population of the planet dies in this event. And that's how the Antichrist rises. Because a quarter of the Earth, Earth's population dies in this event. Not possible all through history until the times that we're living in. And the times we're living in right now, we can do this with nukes. We can, we can do this with chemical warfare. We can do this with biological warfare. We can kill off a quarter of the planet. And a quarter of the planet, we're, we're at 8 billion people now. That's 2 billion people. 2 billion people. It's about 350 million people that live in the United States. And so you take three, the United States three times over, the population of the United States about three times over, and then double that. Six times the population of the United States all dead in this event takes place. And so the Bible, when it talks about the rapture of the church, it talks about the rapture happening and then sudden destruction coming on the rest of the earth. And so the sudden destruction looks like it's that event right there where you got a quarter of the population being destroyed. And so I believe that Jesus is gonna come and take us out and there's all kinds of reasons that I believe it and they're really good reasons and I've never had anybody who had any cogent argument that could, that could win it when I'm talking to them about this stuff. Because there's a bunch of stuff in the Bible that indicates that, that Jesus has to come before the events of the tribulation period to get anything else in the Bible to make sense about prophecy.
okay? And so I'm as convinced that Jesus is coming to get me at any moment as I am that Jesus saved me. That's, that's what I'm talking about. And you may not be that convinced, and that's okay. And if, uh, if you want to be convinced, we can have a conversation. But in any case, when you get to the book of Ezekiel, in Ezekiel 38, you have this battle that takes place that wipes out not only the armies that come down against Israel, but it wipes out their homelands and what's called the coastlands, Gentile populated areas. And it wipes them out. And so, again, it's warfare on a huge scale, on a huge scale. And it looks like it starts at the beginning of the tribulation. Okay, back over to Ezekiel 38. And this is what I'm telling you with this. Not only does God use this to turn the Jews around, because he saves the Jews out of this, but he uses this to bring the Antichrist in. Because there's going to have to be something that takes place on the planet that makes the United States give up sovereignty. There's gonna have to be something that takes place on the planet that causes all the nations of the earth to follow the Antichrist. And if you have World War III and the earth is just devastated and you have some leader coming and it looks like he comes out of Europe, a leader who comes out of Europe and he's charismatic enough, right now, Politicians in the United States, when you frankly look at them, they're a bunch of dullards. They're, they're a bunch of goofballs, and they couldn't run a business on their own. And I just heard that the last two months, they spent almost $400 billion over what was coming in in two months. During the administration of George Bush, that was the deficit. When you're talking about the deficit, the deficit is not how much they spend, it's how much they spend over how much they get in. And so say, say they got $500 billion in, well, what they spent was $900 billion. And so it's going, in, going into the hole that quickly. And so that used to be the deficit for the whole year back at the time of George Bush. And so we don't have really smart people running our country. We've got really dumb people running our country. And I'm not saying that they're all dumb, but the smart ones apparently can't do anything to stop the nonsense that's going on. And so we have that happening. That's the United States, the most powerful country that the world has ever seen. And when you're talking about the Antichrist coming on the scene, this is a guy who's energized by Satan himself. Satan is the wisest of the angels before his fall. He's radically intelligent, and he's going to be able to take this guy and make him into things that the world is just going to be blown away by, and they will willingly follow him. And you got to think of, especially after World War III just took place, and what we're talking about in Ezekiel 38 and 39 is World War, what we would call World War III, okay? So back to it, Ezekiel chapter 38. We'll start at the beginning. I'm not going to go back over all these things, but just to give you context, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, set your face against Gog of the land of Magog. We talked last week about the fact that that's talking about Russia. Land of Magog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal, and prophesy against him. And so all those are family names for a group of people that lived from Ukraine all the way over to Siberia at the time that Ezekiel was written. And that's Russia, is what I'm telling you. That's, that's what that is. 
and say, thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against you, O Gog, the prince of Rosh, Meshach, and Tubal. I will turn you around, put hooks into your jaws, and lead you out with all your army, horses, horsemen, all splendidly clothed, a great company with bucklers and shields, all of them handling swords. Persia, Ethiopia, and Libya are with them, all of them with shield and helmet. Gomer and all its troops, the house of Tergarma from the far north and all its troops, many people are with you. Prepare yourself and be ready, you and all your companies that are gathered uh, about you, and be a guard for them, okay? And so in, in this passage here, it talks about the weapons that these guys are coming with, and it says horses and bucklers and shields, and last week I talked to you about this. In Hebrew, Hebrew is a very, it's a pretty vague language, and when you're talking about Greek, Greek is pretty specific. So they have like, in Greek, there's like eight words for love, and four of them are used in the Bible, Okay, and so it's, I love tacos, I love my wife, I love my dog. I do not love my wife like I love tacos, that would not be good. I do not love my wife like I love my dog, that would not be good. By the way, love for a dog is called storge in Greek, and it's also love for family. So all you people who have dogs that are like family to you, it's biblical, right? Okay, and so you, you have all these terms for love, and, and most of you are familiar with that, but when you get to Hebrew, it's vague. It's a, the, the language is more vague, and you have to determine what's being spoken about by context. And so when you're talking, for example, uh, about the word horses, it can literally be translated leapers. And sometimes it's translated birds in the Bible. And so obviously there's nobody going around riding on birds. And so you can't translate that bird they have to be riding on something that will carry a man. And in the 1600s, when the King James Version was written, well, yeah, when the King James Version was written, the thing that carried soldiers into battle were horses, right? But it's not the word horses. It's the word leapers. And so if we're talking about 21st century warfare, you got to figure out what leaper would be translated, and again, we, we talked a little bit about that. Uh, could be talking about modern troop carriers there. When you're talking about swords, the word for sword is not sword. The word for sword is weapon for laying waste. It's literally what it is in Hebrew, weapon for laying waste. And so back in the 1600s, that's a sword. But nowadays, we don't use swords that way. Swords are mostly ceremonial. A weapon for laying waste could be an AR. Well, it, no, it's not going to be an AR. It's going to be an M4 or something like that. But it, it's going to be a modern machine gun. That's the general weapon that's used by infantry. It could be talking about grenade launchers. It could be talking about rocket launchers. Weapons for laying waste. That's what the word for sword is. And then when you're talking about shields, the word for shield is protector or defense. The word for buckler is literally a word that means thorn or hedge or hooks. And it's got a connotation that has cold connected with it. In any case, these are obviously defensive units that these guys are using. And so again, in the 1600s, when you're using those terms, something that defends you, you're talking about a shield. That's what you're speaking about. But when you're in the 21st century and you get to those terms, it can mean something totally different than that. 
right? And it's like that all the way through the passage. And so don't, don't get bogged down by the fact that horses are mentioned here because it's not the word for horses. It's the word leapers. And it might be talking about horses or it could be talking about something else, depending on, on the context historically. You've been listening to Crosswalk with Pastor Steve Winery. Crosswalk is the radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Tri-Cities in Kennewick, Washington. If you are interested in purchasing a copy of today's message or wanting to know more about what it means to follow Christ, then please contact our church office by phone at 509-736-2086. You can also look us up online at calvary-tricities.org. There you will find a wide variety of Pastor Steve's teachings to listen to or download for free. If you want to join us for church sometime, we are located at 10611 West Clearwater Avenue in Kennewick, Washington. Our Sunday morning service times are 7.30, 9.15, and 11 a.m. We also have Wednesday and Sunday evening services at 6.30 p.m. We hope you have been blessed today and join us again next time for Crosswalk.